Welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. I'm Pastor Cameron Diamond. I'm super excited that you've joined us this week. As we continue our study in Exodus, keep looking at the Israelites and how God saved them from the Egyptians and what that means for us as believers, as Christians, um, why this story is in the Bible in the first place. Um, it's in the Bible. I believe it absolutely happened just the way the text says it is. I will trust God's word over man's word every single time. So we're going to pick up here in Exodus chapter 12. Um, again, as you're turning there, I hope that um, if you like what you're hearing, if you enjoy tuning in, that you'll like, share and subscribe and hit that notification bell if you enjoy this. Uh, make sure you're sharing it with people. Um, so we're picking it up in Exodus chapter 12. God has just um, save the Israelites. Pharaoh has sent them out of the country, all 2.5 million of them, and they're headed to the wilderness. And so in Exodus 12, picking up in verse 31, it says, He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave. And also bless me. Remember last week we talked about his selfish attitude in the midst of all of this death and tragedy. He's still out just for himself, Pharaoh is. And so now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. And remember, they had just observed Passover for the first time, which, as we can see now, is a representation and a symbolism for what God would do through Jesus, the Messiah, 2,000 years later. Okay, And so the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. And in this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. A mixed crowd went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since it had no yeast. For when they were driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord, because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. See, they were freed by God's strong sovereign hand. And Moses reminds them of that three times, showing them that it isn't Moses's doing that all of these judgments have happened and that God has freed them from their captivity, but it's only through God's hand, the creator of the universe, they have been let go and allowed to leave, allowed to have the freedom they have not experienced for 400 years. And the point of this isn't just that this generation of Israelites would be saved, but that all generations of Israelites, all Hebrews, all Jews, would be saved because of this action here. 
And so today we're going to talk about the Red Sea and how finally God, for once and for all, puts an end to the Egyptian rule over these people. They've been allowed to go, but the story is not over yet. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 13, verse 17. And it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby, for God said, The people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. So they looked like an army marching, but they were not ready for war. And God knew that. And so he took them along the road less traveled. It wasn't the easiest path, but it also was a path that meant they did not have to go to war with the Philistine people. And so Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid and then you must take your bones or my bones with you from this place. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Can you imagine that? God continually, just right there before your eyes, pillar, uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How miraculous would that have been for us to experience? And as you read the story and you see how the Israelites are in awe of God, you also know it doesn't last long. We'll get to that in a minute. It says, So then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal-Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So there, there, these 2.5 million people are traveling along. And then all of a sudden, God tells Moses, okay, you need to turn around. You need to head towards the sea. And you're going to get boxed in. Pharaoh is coming after you. And you are going to get trapped. What does Moses do? He obeys, obviously. He does what God tells him to do. Now, to Moses, he's not going to understand it. He's, it's not going to make total sense to him, other than the fact that God says, what happens next will be for my glory. You just follow my lead. So, picking up in verse 5 of chapter 14, it says, When the king of Egypt was told that people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt, with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army chased after them, and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. Now, notice the attitude of the Israelites here. They are defiant. They do not want to be in Egypt. They do not want to serve the Egyptians any longer. They are happy to be gone. 
They are defiant, and the Egyptians are jealous and angry at themselves because they have let them go. And so verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Be quiet? Are you serious? <laughs> Don't say anything. Hush. Just, just let God work. Just let him work. Let him do his job. And you just stand there, stand firm, and be quiet. I mean, I would like to think that if I were in the Israelites, I would have total faith in what was going on. I mean, after all, we've been following this supernatural cloud every day, and this pillar of fire by night has been guiding us and protecting us. I mean, clearly, it's not just Moses. Like, God is looking after us. He is right there. But yet the people are like, well, you should have just killed us in Egypt. Why in the world have you done this to us? If we're honest with ourselves, we probably would have been just the same as the Israelites here. But Moses is saying, the Lord will fight for you. You are his. Just be quiet and be obedient. Watch him do it. So verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front and stood behind. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land, and so the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them, on their right and on their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud, and threw the Egyptian forces into a confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So this cloud is separating the Egyptians from the Israelites all night long. And as this is happening, there's this humongous east wind that's blowing the waters apart. Creating dry ground in the morning, they all start walking through. On dry ground and it is a miracle and Pharaoh at that point says all right now now's the time to go after him so they they ride out 
after these Israelites. And God causes them to be confused. Their chariots start swerving. They start infighting. They're shouting at each other, We need to leave because their God is fighting against us. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand out over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. What was the point of all of this? Well, it says it in the text. God was showing the Israelites and the Egyptians, he is the sovereign God of the universe. There is no one besides him. He is the one that is in control here. And if you, we don't acknowledge him, he has every right, every right to punish us because of our rebelliousness. He had every right to do what he did to Pharaoh and the armies. They were coming against God's people. They had already been acknowledging pagan gods and completely forgotten about him. Remember, he, everyone, one of us comes from the family of Noah. Noah's grandson started Egypt. They should have been worshiping Yahweh from the beginning, but they didn't. They decided to invent gods. Where do you stand on that? What kind of gods are you inventing for yourself? So in the middle of this, God is showing the Israelites, you are my people. I have chosen you. I'm going to bring the, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, through your family. And you will be a blessing to all nations. And yes, you've been in slavery for 400 years. But here I am. This is the perfect time for you to get saved. So out of bondage you come. And Pharaoh is going to come after you. And I'm going to show him who God really is, and that he is not God. Because remember, Pharaoh felt like he didn't just have a divine right to rule, but that he was, in fact, divine. Pharaoh believed himself to be a god, and the Egyptians believed him to be a god. And so they followed his rule. And so in the midst of this, the Egyptians are realizing, yeah, all this stuff that we've been worshiping all this time doesn't add up. Their God is fighting for them. Our gods haven't shown up at all since the judgment started. Maybe we should go home now. Maybe we should leave them alone. Some of them decided maybe we should go with the Israelites and follow Yahweh. Right? And you would think that after seeing all of this stuff that the Israelites would be like worshiping nonstop recognizing that God is God. But what do they start doing? Immediately, they start complaining. Talking about how God has um, not looking out for them the way that they wanted to and, and, and all of this stuff. Right? They have a very um, unthankful, un, not a very grateful heart. The whole country of it. 
But this act of the Israelites being saved from Egypt and crossing through the Red Sea, this is a major event of the Old Testament. You can even argue that this is the major event of the Old Testament. Because this is the point where God proves in the biggest way, most miraculous way, that he loves the Israelites and that he is looking after them. Countless times all over the Old Testament, the prophets and the writers and all of it refer back to this event as, you want to know how we know that God loves us? He saved us in this way. He brought the judgments on Egypt. He rescued us from it. He rescued us from the wilderness by uh, uh, helping us to cross the Red Sea. And then he brought the Red Sea back up on the Egyptians. God loves us. It is all over the Old Testament. God, through this, redeems his people. And just like a whole bunch of other examples that I could show you all over the Old Testament, this is another example of God redeeming his people as a foreshadowing of what he did to redeem all of mankind through Jesus Christ. All we have to do is claim it, believe it, dedicate our lives to God in the way that he's intended us to live in the first place, and God has redeemed us, saved us from the brokenness and sin that we have dedicated our lives to wrongly and against his will. He redeems his people. He loves his people. Exodus 6, 6 says, Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And he came through on exactly what he said. He did redeem them. Have you ever thought about the importance of the word redeemer? You know, it, it's actually really important reference here in Exodus. Because the Hebrew redeemer is this idea of a member of a family who was responsible for protecting the interest of the whole family or a member of the family who had a particular need. To be a redeemer, this person had to have the right, the resources, and the desire to help. This was often seen when a member of the family might go into debt. Another family member could come in as a kinsman redeemer if they had the resources and the desire to help. This is, as we see later on, uh, this is the same kind of um, action that Boaz used with Ruth and Naomi. He came in as their kinsman redeemer and saved them from the situa situation that they were in. But how much more do we consider that God doesn't just redeem us, but he is our kinsman redeemer. He is our Heavenly Father. He's not just this random entity that says He cares about us, but it says that He is our Father. He's our Daddy. And He's the creator of the entire universe, so He has everything at His disposal, every resource imaginable. And He actually wants to help us. He has the desire to do it. That is incredible. He's not just some, some random person that's just demanding that you live in obedience. No, he wants to redeem you from the brokenness that you've accepted as a fact of reality. When it's not, 
If you're not looking at life through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, through the biblical lens of what is in our Holy Bible with 66 books, if that's not what you're looking through, it's like you're staring at life through a kaleidoscope. And God is saying, take off the lenses. Realize what I have done for you. I am trying to redeem you here. I want to help you. I've got all of these resources that I'm giving you so that you have what you need to live life the way I designed it. He's trying to reach out to you right now. You know, some people, when they're, they're looking at this story, they're trying to figure out, okay, so where did they cross? Have we found evidence of it happening and all of this? Well, you understand that this happened like 4,000 years ago. Uh, so after thousands of years, um, you know, wooden chariots, they're going to have deteriorated by then, right? And also um, waterways and lakes and rivers and all of that, those locations will have changed at least a little bit, but probably a lot, right? But some people, and I'll, I'm going to point out one, some people like Ron Wyatt will come out and make false claims about how they've found evidence of the chariots and the horses and whatever else. The same man, Ron Wyatt, will come out and say, I found Noah's Ark, and I found the Ark of the Covenant. And don't pay any attention to this stuff, right? If if that was to get found, that'd be great. But honestly, personally, as a pastor, as a Christian, I wouldn't care much because we have God's word and that's all that we need. I mean, we get to choose between two things. We have God's word and we have man's word. And do we trust more the God, the creator of the universe or man's ability to produce evidence that something that God said happened actually happened? My trust is going to the creator of the universe. And if I don't find physical evidence to back it up, I'm not upset because he's worth trusting. That's his character. He looks after us. He tells us what we need to know. And the way that the history keeps moving, evidence does get found. I mean, there's a reason why the Bible is considered historically accurate in a lot of ways. There's a reason why we can use it for archaeological findings and things. But the Bible is so much more than just a history book. And for whatever that we don't have physical evidence for, that's fine. Because I can take God at his word. I can read his words and know that they are true. You know, this story is a huge reminder of God's faithfulness, of his mercy and his grace, and providing for his people. At this point in time, his people were the Israelites. But he was using the Israelites to bring Jesus into the world to save all of humanity. And he wants to save you too. And through these actions and through what happened, he was glorified and he was worshipped by the Hebrews. It was recognized for a time that the Hebrews were a nation not to be messed with. Because the living God was on their side. But even the Hebrews turned their back on God. And it won't take long. And they start worshiping idols and other things. And you have to understand, it's easy for us to uh, make fun of them, pretend like we're better than them. But we live the same way. We decide that we know what's best more than God. Or we decide that 
other things are worth following more than God. We allow the lies of the world to get in the way and, and mess with the trust that we have with God. We allow that. We live on this shaky ground, so we can't be judging them too harshly because we behave just the same way. But you know what? God is our kinsman redeemer. And he provides for our needs. And he has provided. And our greatest need is to be reconciled with him through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13 says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He loves you. He wants you to come back to him. Whether you are a believer who maybe needs to take a second look at how they're living their life, or maybe you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus yet. Make that choice today. What are you going to do with Jesus? He's worth dedicating your life to. He's worth every breath that you breathe. Thank you for joining me today for the Living Worship Podcast. Uh, once again, if you like this um, podcast, share, like, subscribe, um, all those things. Send me a comment. Um, down below or email me at Cameron at JonesvilleBaptist.com. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook and, and, and all the rest. You, you, you can find me pretty easily, I'm sure. But the point is this. I'm praying for you. I love you. And God loves you more. I'll catch you next week. Bye.